Welcome to Diggin' the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Well, good morning, John. Good to see you again, as always. (laughs) Nice to be here with you. This is is our last recording for a few weeks because I'm about to go and lead a retreat. And then my partner and I, Piety, well, Piety and I are leading the retreat. And then we're going off to France for a few weeks. Oh, that's going to be great. Um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, Desperately needed for her in particular. But uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) And she has family there. So, yeah. So, be nice. uh, And our retreat is actually on the elements. Uh, practice, um, which is a practice that's quite close to my heart. And I, I was thinking about this a lot over the last few months. And um, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that I was, I went out to Wisconsin to, to visit her while she was studying and, and um, took my motorcycle out. And, and, you know, I was kind of thinking about being, so the motorcycle as, as a body, Mm. Right? It's, it's made up of its elements, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and they're the elements of, of steel and, and some plastic and, and leather. And, you know, these, you know, in, in the context of the elements practice and the elements refer to six elements, but the first of the four elements are kind of basic elements. They're the most, he, he, it's in certain suttas, there's five, some of there's six, but mostly it's four. Yeah. Right, particularly in the first foundation of mindfulness, it's yeah. four because yeah. it's about the body and the elements of the body. But right. I, I get into the last two more, but it's we'll get to that. <laughs> so it's the, the elements, just so you know. And this was pre-Buddhism. I mean, the, the you know, this was just the way things were seen. The four basic elements were earth, uh, water, fire, and sometimes it's called air, sometimes it's called wind. Every one of us is made up of these four elements. Mm-hmm. But I was sort of first coming to the bike, the motorcycle ride, and it's mostly earth. But then there's, you know, the, the fluid element. So there's the water element, both of the fuel and the lubricants and things like that. There's the air, air, element, air, air element in the tires, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously a fire element in this, the yeah. electrical system and the spark plugs. So I'm, I'm on this machine, right? And my four elements are on these four elements. And it sort of becomes part of you too, doesn't it? Exactly, right. And and there's like the feeling of the air rushing by me, mm-hmm. right? And of course, it rained while I was riding. So there's that element that's coming at me. Mm-hmm. And and it was this continual practice of the elements in a way, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. And then, you know, when you get into space and consciousness, which are the final two that are referred to in uh, the teachings, it's like, well, what? So there's... The space within my body, which is what the original teaching talks about, the sort of orifices of the body and and Mm -hmm. cavities of the body. But then later it talks about, I forget how it's put, but it's as it's the the space created by the body. It's like a house, right? It's the space into which the body uh, has dimensions, if you like. It's yeah, yeah. And that to me is fascinating mm-hmm. because it, it's like, in a sense, we are always moving from a space to another space mm-hmm. and making space for something else as we move. And through space. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's in a, in a sense, it's like, well, what <laughs> what is it that's moving? It's these four elements moving, and, and so there's there's that aspect. And I know, you know, that the core teaching is around letting go of one's identification with the body, of course. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that are familiar with the teaching or unfamiliar with the teaching, you know, the kind of mantra, as it were, that's used is, you know, and then we've talked about this before in other contexts because it's a mantra that is is used in, in uh, other other teachings as well. It's basically, you know, this isn't mine, this isn't who I am, and this doesn't belong to me. And 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 it's true, of course, because the of the elements in particular, because these elements are continually flowing through me. The earth element perhaps is in me much longer than the other elements. Air is continually flowing through. Water is a little less so. And fire. Fire, it's hard to say. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, f- it, it, so if if we put it in a you know, bigger context, and this is where I, it's not that the, it's this is not talked about in the early teachings, but I think it's really key as well. Is or maybe it is, and you'll you'll correct me if I'm wrong. But the relationship of the earth element in me to the external earth elements, right? Well, it is that is described as being the same. That the earth element in me is the same as the earth element outside of me. That's not you know, or that in my body, should we say, is the same as the as right. that outside. So what's you know so so we are not separate from that in a way as right. well right what makes us separate right I may have referred to this before but in honor of Wes Nisker who died last week at least the week that we're recording died we're recording this in August um, <clears throat> a major teacher at Spirit Rock for many years uh, very funny man he was talking he has a if I, if I, excuse me, friends, if I talked about this before, but he has one of his little parts of his comic routine is talking about DNA, which he wants to rename. He wanted to rename as divine natural abundance, <laughs> which is actually kind of interesting because you know, the whole, I forget what the DNA stands for, but it's a very long name. Deroxyribonucleic uh, acid, or I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, you know, it's just highlighting the fact that, you know, basically all humans have the same DNA except for a little bit, which is just slightly different for each of us is why we look different. But then he goes on to say, you know, we, we share 95% of our DNA with monkeys and chimps. We share 70% of our DNA or 50% of our DNA with yeast. And then he refers to a t-shirt that somebody from the University of California, Santa Cruz had that said, you share 25% of your DNA with a banana, get over yourself, (laughs) you know? And it's so true, right? It's like, you know, we have this identity with our physical appearance that's who I am, and on one level, it's true. But on on every other level, it's it's not uh, who you are because who you are is you know continually changing in the, as these elements are changing. 
Yeah, and one of the, I was going to say on that very topic uh, when you brought up the your riding on the motorcycle, you know, the reason I say that you seem I haven't ridden a motorcycle, but I've ridden a bicycle and I've certainly driven cars. And I mean, part of the way that we think of that we d- distinguish our body from the outside world is this kind of proprioception, the sense of knowledge of where the ends of the body are. And as you get skilled in, I'm sure riding a motorcycle, but certainly a bicycle or a car, you get this this sense of proprioception extends out to the right. edges of what it is you're driving. Right. And it sort of becomes part of who you are by extension. I mean, even though obviously you know that the car or the motorcycle or the bicycle is not literally me, but still, I mean, it's the same mental operation that goes goes on, is that we sort of, it becomes me for a time. Right, exactly. And as this body becomes me for a time, mm-hmm, or exactly. the illusion of me for a time. Yep, right? and, yep. and yeah, and there have been all sorts of experiments done around proprioception and, and people who don't have it. Right. You know, it's a real challenge. People who uh, think that their own arm isn't their own arm. There are people with, I mean, it's crazy. Right, some, right. You know. I believe Oliver Sacks has written a lot about this, mm-hmm, among mm-hmm. others. But, yeah. I mean, what's fascinating, right, is, and I, I think there's maybe some debate over this, but, you know, when we are born or when a young, you know, an infant is an infant, it doesn't see itself as separate. It may look at its arm and actually not realize it. It's 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 its arm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may see itself as an extension of its mother. I mean, how we don't know, but it's you know it hasn't developed the proprioception yet. It hasn't developed the sense of self, <laughs> mm-hmm. really, right? And that even physically. So it's you know there's that, and 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 we're not. <laughs> I, I think the the when it comes to you know. Uh, our sense of self and our practice or this practice specifically of the elements, it's not like we want to drop our sense of sense self physically or, or anything because we need it. Sure. And yet when we start to recognize those moments where our identity with that sense of self is creating suffering, then we can, you know, if we look at things a little more closely, you know, the the insights arrive around impermanence. The insights arrive around uh, non-self. And this practice in particular, I think, can be really helpful for this. It can also be really helpful, and this is when I first started to integrate it. And again, I think I may have discussed this once before around pain. Pain isn't a word that we place over a combination of sensations. Uh, so we have a combination of sensations that creates an experience that the mind labels as pain or unpleasant or painful, right? But all that's really happening is sensations are happening. These sensations are, a comp- in a way, a combination of these elements, right? The elements of air, earth, air, fire and uh, water. And these elements have come together in a particular way that a sensation is created that we react to because it's not pleasant and we want to get rid of it. Um, so there's, the getting rid of it just creates more suffering. 
uh, the trying to get rid of it creates more suffering because we're just trying to push something away without actually letting it do what it needs to do. And pain, of course, can also be useful because it informs us perhaps that something is wrong. So there's, it's all good, but we still need to be with the pain. How do we, so how are ways that we can be with the pain? And I very clearly remember it was the first time I'd been with Bhante Buddha Rakita. I was on retreat and I was dealing with, it was a fairly early retreat for me and I was dealing with a huge amount of knee pain, which is not unusual uh, for new retreatants <laughs> or new practitioners. And we, we met and he said, and he had talked about the elements in the talk, I think. And then we met and he said, well, you know, if you explore this sensation, which I'm calling pain, you know, and you explore it in the context of the elements, you sort of deal with one at a time. So you, you kind of divide and separate. So in other words, how is the earth element experienced in this sensation? Mm -hmm. And what is, is there hardness present? And if you stay with that hardness for a while, what does anything change? Or how is the water element present? You know, is it fluid? Is it moving? The heat element, the fire element is often quite obvious. And the air element maybe a little less so. But if you kind of divide the experience, the physical experience into the elements, then it gives us a place, it gives us um, an interesting place for investigation. Let's put it that way, and a place to relieve our pain um, because we're working with one sensation at a time now. Mm. You know, and and you know, let alone the, you know, this pain is not me. <laughs> this pain doesn't belong to me. This pain isn't who I am. So that that's a really practical use of this teaching. These teachings. Yeah, and and I think similarly, at least I'm I'm rem remembering. I did I did a few videos on the elements a, a little while ago, and I'll I'll leave a link maybe to a playlist of them. Mm. Just different aspects, both of the history, but also some practices involved with them. And one of them I remember has to do with this kind of equanimity that comes up through uh, contemplation of the elements. And there are various places I think where the Buddha talks about how I mean, it's not it's not about physical pain in particular, but certain kinds of pain. In particular, he's talking. He uses at least in some of the suttas the elements as a practice that to uh, help us get over crit, you know pain of hearing things from other people or being criticized or even having stuff thrown at us. You know, I mean, you know, uh, abused by people and. Uh, one of the ways that he frames that, I think he does for his son Rahula at one point, is to talk about how, you know, the the earth doesn't care what you throw on it. You know, he doesn't care about, you know, the feces that you put on it. He doesn't care if you, you know, whack it with a stick. It doesn't care about any of these. And so, you should, basically, he says you, ha you should think like the earth in that hmm. sense. Wow. And think like, and, and then he goes through each of the four, I, yeah. I believe only the four elements here. Yeah, probably. Um, uh, but he does the same thing with all four, you know, that the water doesn't care what you throw in it, doesn't care about the feces you put in it, it, it doesn't care if you urinate in it. And in the same way, be like the water, you know, and the air and, and fire, and fire burns these things up, you know, and so sort of be like fire. 
And so that's another way of sort of, I mean, of sort of thinking of our bodies as these kind of, you know, in a certain sense, inanimate sorts of things that can be, you know, thought of in the same way we think of the inanimate, you know, world and earth. Oh, I wouldn't call the earth inanimate, but yeah. Um, the risk of that, of course, is that we then don't take care of our body. You know, and of course, we do want to take care of our body. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you can take it too yeah, far, I think. Right. I mean, any of these. And and it's almost, in a way, it's like the opposite of what, say, is happening in New Zealand, right? Where a river is now considered a, a being. It is alive. And, mm. and we should treat it with care and with respect as we would treat each other. Um, I mean, legally speaking, I think they've actually categorized it as something like that. And so, you know, that's a pretty interesting. So I think there's, I think that what, what's, it's true, the, the river or the earth, you know, if we whack it, it doesn't, it doesn't, theoretically, it doesn't feel pain, right? It doesn't care. Know. Well, it, it's not, it's not sentient. I mean, for in, right. certainly in Buddhism, the, yeah. none of the elements are sentient. Yeah, although that's yeah, and so that that's a really interesting. That's a whole other discussion, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, it is. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, water. I mean, it's you know, live molecules of things creating water. So, what you know, yes, it, it isn't necessarily thinking, but it and you know, anyway, <laughs> that's I I, I I take the point though that we yes we are in a sense merely uh, a combination of elements that is ma manifesting as me right now, right? And yet those elements are constantly changing. You know, the me that is here now is not at all the same as the me that was here 20 years ago and will not be the same as the me that is on my last breath. Right, and some, you know, I think when he's talking, he's the Buddha here is talking to monastics who are going to be potentially set upon by people who don't like Buddhist monastics around. Right. Yeah, And so, you know, you take it personally when somebody, you know, deals, you know, maybe... Uh, a physical blow or something. Yeah, it gives you a physical blow to your body. Right. And what the Buddha is saying is think of it the same way you would think of them giving a physical blow to the, to the right. rock next to them, you know. There's no, you know, it's the same kind of elements involved in, in, in both of these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and there's a fine line there, where, you know, I, I think in terms of how we respond to that and, and yeah. how we, but it is true. Like when, when, when we are dealing with some kind of physical intrusion into this space and this body, you know, how do we respond? Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I mean, yeah, I, I guess the Buddha would say, well, don't, or would the Buddha say, well, don't defend yourself. <laughs> Because that's a dang, that could be a dangerous teaching too, right? So it's it's finding that line, you know. Right. Well, you, there's room for defense. Um, yeah. Uh, but even you know, it, it's a different discussion about how far you can go to defend yourself. And and certainly in early Buddhism, that was not very far, at least for the Buddha. I mean, the Buddha did not believe in any kind of violence for sure uh, yeah. in his name, uh, which we may think doesn't really work. Uh, very well, but that was certainly the view that he put uh, that he put out. You know, yeah. um, well, defending yourself is not necessarily violence. I mean, it, you're, you're well, it might, it, it could be, it, yeah, it could, could be. be for sure. Uh, but I think 
you know, that also brings in intention. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I'm intending, I'm, I'm doing this to protect myself. I can have compassion for the person I'm about to whack, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't know what caused him to or her to be the way they are. So I'm going to, you know, defend myself. I'm going to maybe hurt this person, not in a bad way, but enough to pr- defend myself, you know, recognizing that I don't know everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I do need to pre- take care of myself. Yeah. And so it's, uh, <laughs> and and in terms of, so this does, in a way, get into the elements of, of space and consciousness because if somebody comes into my space, my space, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I need to. How how do I feel about that? Or you know what? That's one thing. And in terms of consciousness, this is somewhat related to what you were saying before about me being my you know my my motorcycle and me are are the same, um, or the bicycle and you are the same. And there's an awareness of that, mm-hmm. right? And that's the consciousness element that's arising in that moment, aware of what's happening and aware that, you know, the body is leaning into a curve because it's been trained to do so. It's also related to the earlier conversation we had about uh, focus or flow, rather, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> so there's this is happening and there's an awareness. There is awareness of this happening <laughs> and a knowing of this happening. And yet, how is it happening? You know, who is it happening? Who mm-hmm. is making it happen? What is you know? And so there's that, and and in those moments, the the, the consciousness consciousness is arising, and it is also not me, <laughs> even though it's easy to identify with it. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would wonder also because I know that the Buddha d- divided consciousness into six types, mm. depending on the the sense modality involved. Right. And so, I, I would assume that he would have done that with the consciousness element, although I don't think he discussed, I mean, my, my recollection, and I may be wrong, is that he, that the consciousness element is not really discussed in any detail in the early suttas. It's just sort of, you know, it's just sort of an example of six, one of six elements in a couple of places. Uh, but you may know of a particular sutta that discusses it in, in detail. I'm not familiar with one that does so. Yeah, I'm actually having a brief scan of the sutta sitting in front of me and not finding it easily. But but even if we put it in that context of, you know, the, the eye consciousness, the ear consciousness, etc., mm-hmm. you know, there is the awareness of that. And then that awareness fades away mm-hmm. when the sense fades away. So, where is the consciousness? Where is, where is the me that is the consciousness? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where things get really, where the inquiry gets fascinating. It's like, who is experiencing this? Where is the person, you know, where is the experience being experienced? How is it being experienced? Right. Yeah. It's These are all, you know, they're basically, as I experience the elements practice, it's, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful way of inquiry you know, <clears throat> into whatever our experience is. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, you know, as our, if we're experiencing any level of dukkha, <clears throat> if we use this lens at times, it can be very helpful. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also, it's a way of, it's a, it's an analytical technique to use with the body, which we're often so closely identified with, you know, in the same way that we would analyze the body into the arms and the legs and the organs, we can also analyze it into these 
into these elements. And <clears throat> most important to me anyway, and I hope to others, it's what really kind of, you know, to use the Thich Nhat Hanh word, interbeing, you know, it's, it's the elements which really connect not only us to each other, but to the, to the natural world around us. Mm -hmm. We are the natural world, yeah. you know, in a different form. <clears throat> and of course, the current level of suffering is arising because we saw ourselves being able to control the natural world when in fact <laughs> the natural world is controlling us and we don't necessarily, you know, we forgot that. And so, you know, really starting to, to see that clearly and, and appreciate it and know it is key. Yeah. It's a big practice. And <clears throat> I think maybe in a month or so we'll be having, as our guest Bodhi Paksha, who's written a wonderful book on this, which we can uh, uh, include in the, in the podcast notes, called Living as a River, which is one of my favorite Dharma books, period. It's really fun to read. Mm, yeah. Um, but it really goes into these practices um, from different sides and refers to a lot of scientists scientific stuff around it as well. So yeah, it's, um, and he'll talk more about it hopefully when we have him. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. we'll get him on soon. Yeah. Yeah. So friends, we hope this has been helpful. And, um, <clears throat> as usual, we encourage you to, to contribute to our water element by, uh, I was going to say the water element is very useful <laughs> by, <laughs> in uh, one regard, <laughs> buying us a cup of coffee or two or three. Yeah. And uh or membership, member become a member. Yeah. yeah. And while you're at it, leave us some comments, ask us a question and we will do our best to get to that. Again, this will be for those of you that listen to us on a regular basis, there'll be a brief pause as uh, I'm away. In the meantime, keep digging the dharma. Keep digging the dharma, that's right. Okay. And enjoy your trip to to France. I will. Got to get through the retreat first, which I will also enjoy. <laughs> which you will also enjoy. Yeah. So, all right, friends. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at digginthedharma.com, where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net, and Doug at dougsdharma.com.